0: We are beginning a brand new series, so um, if you're visiting with us, we thank you so much for coming. You picked a good time to be here. Um, we, uh, I, I'm personally really excited for this series because uh, it gets us back into um, the life of Christ and uh, specifically uh, kind of trying to wrap our mind around maybe some of the top 10 things or top 10 stories that... Maybe significant um, for him, and so um, just so you know, we we have been uh, in a, these kind of series. This is our third. This started about uh, gosh two years ago, maybe something like that. In a conversation that happened outside of a community group, where we had a lot of people just saying, Maybe we don't know a lot about the Bible," and our kids are learning a ton in community in community kids, and that's awesome. Um, but we don't feel like we realize we don't know a whole lot of the stories, and so. Uh, That led to Woven, if you were here for that series. We did a whole uh, walkthrough of the Old Testament in 10 or 11 stories, something like that. And then uh, we walked through the Acts um, and talked about the top 10 things of the church age. And uh, that was uh, a little more recent. And then this is the last installment in that. And this is called the top 10-ish things of Jesus. And we said 10-ish because we we, we think it's going to be 10 weeks. Um, I think it's going to be 10 weeks. uh, But we'll see what God does in it. Um, And the goal this morning... has actually changed a little bit from um, where I was originally going to take it. Um, This doesn't normally happen, but uh, this morning, just sitting through the worship and and the focus of the idea of our identities in Christ, um, I want to kind of tweak a little bit this morning. And I was going to go one direction, but I want to kind of lean it into this direction. I want to lean it into the direction of this. As we talk about the beginning of the story of the life of Christ, I want to lean into the idea that we are serving Jesus Christ who you're going to hear this morning, puts his full weight and full identity in the Father and, and and is submissive to the Father, is meek because the Father's influence in him, is doing nothing outside of the Father's will. And this is a theological... Uh, and it's just crazy to think of this theologically, to think that the Godhead, this three-in-one... Submissive to one another and yet Christ coming in human form, we're going to talk about that today, is humbled and meek. And obedient to the Father because of the father 's identity resting on him we 're going to see that this morning in the baptism but this morning if you have your uh, handouts or your guides there um, we 'll be in Luke 2 one through seven a little bit uh, we 'll also be a little bit in the baptism this morning is looking to primarily at the birth and the baptism of Jesus Christ and the goal this morning and the goal throughout this series is not just to lean into the identity but if we were to say if I were to say that there 's this huge overarching goal of the next ten weeks. Here's what I want out of these next 10 weeks. That you would get to know Jesus. That you you would know things about him that you didn't normally know or think about or or just remember things about Jesus that you already know. Bring those into remembrance. Here's the other thing I hope that comes out of the series is that you're transformed by watching how he lives his life, that you are not just head knowledge about Jesus, but there is a heart transformation that happens. Maybe for you, you've never really stepped into a full relationship with Jesus Christ. You've talked about it. You've been in community group and you've mentioned it. You know, it's important to know about this guy named Jesus, but you have yet to fully surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. I hope that this series, there's an opportunity for you to do that. And lastly, I pray that uh, over over this series that we start to live on mission for Christ, see what Jesus does, we would do what Jesus does. Not just head knowledge that Jesus does, but we would do what Jesus says to do. So this morning, that's a lot to wrap into the beginning, but this morning again, I want to lean in to this identity that he finds in the Father and that we can as well. The birth and the baptism of Jesus will allow us to know and be transformed and live out in meekness and obedience our lives here. Let me just give you what I mean by meekness and obedience just to start off, because we're going to end with this as well. Meekness is this. Meekness is power under control. So when you look at the life of Christ, and especially as you look at the life of Christ in these two stories this morning, please remember that this is not, this is not just merely human Jesus. This is divinity, and you're going to see this throughout. This is God himself, the amount of power that God yields, the omnipotence of God put in human flesh is power under control. Jesus in how he responds throughout his life is power under control. Many of us in our own lives maybe don't live this out, right? We don't like power under control. We like to show people how powerful we are, especially our kids, (laughs) You don't know the full wrath of your father, but it's coming, okay? I mean, uh, you, we, we don't live that way. We, we, we appreciate it when we see it. We'd love a boss that has power under control and not the guy who has no power but says he has all the power in the world. You know the guy, right? Or the lady, whatever it is, right? They, they love to flaunt who they are and their reputation, but you realize they have no opinion. They have no, They don't really matter in the equation, but they think they matter in the equation. This is the opposite. Jesus says, I know who I am, and I have power under control. And then let me show you the opposite. The obedience side of this is this. Obedience is control under power. Obedience means that Jesus Christ was controlled by the Father, under the power of the Father. Obedience said, I will control my actions. I'll only heal when you tell me to heal. I'll only go when you tell me to go. I'll only stop when you tell me to stop. I'll only do what you want me to do. I will drink of this cup in the garden if that's what you want me to do, but I'll only do it under the power of the Father. This morning, I hope that we can emulate these two things of power under control and control under power. Let's begin in his birth. Um, He is fully God. He is fully humanity. It's what's called the incarnation. And for many of us, we know this. We hear it every Christmas. But specifically, the incarnation is a mysterious thing. um, And it is something that in the timing of when it comes was miraculous, one, because it was God in itself, but miraculous in the fact that it was timing. So we've just come off of, we've talked about the Old Testament, and we said that there was a series on that. Well, between the Old Testament, your ending of your Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there was a 400-year silence where God didn't speak, God didn't do anything. The Israelites, the people of God, could hear nothing from him. There was no prophets ever sent in 400 years. They were used to prophets all the time who would come and be the voice of God and tell them what to do. They were used to kings to tell them what to do. But for 400 years of silence, there was nothing. There was no God. There was no voice. There was nothing. And then the voice of God comes in 400 years, and you would think, Think the voice of God in 400 year gap would come in a very triumphant way and a very clear way in a way that everybody could see and say that's obviously the voice of God. But God doesn't come in that way. God comes in the form of a child, and He comes in the form of what's called the incarnation. The incarnation shows Christ's meekness and humility. It fulfills prophecy, Isaiah nine six, just being one of them. It's mysterious. It's necessary for salvation. If you look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, if you look at Hebrews as well, where it says there's no uh, forgiveness of sins, where there's not any shedding of blood, uh, this was all part of the plan, the him to come in human form, and it is not, let me just be clear, the incarnation is not also the beginning of Jesus Christ, okay? It is not Jesus ultimately got just created that day, although some religions will tell you that. Some will say that he was created on that day. Some will say that he was adopted on that day, and some will say he didn't do anything the day he came into this place because God would never come in human form because God is so much bigger and more holy than us. There is no way he would put himself in that situation. Christianity is the only religion that says that Christ came and did not lose any of his Godhead and didn't lose any of his humanity but was perfectly human and God in the same frame. That's amazing that he was fully God and fully human. That is what we celebrate in Jesus Christ at the Incarnation. To put it in a much wiser wording, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship says it like this. In the Incarnation, the whole human race recovers the dignity of the image of God. (laughs) I mean, can't beat Bonhoeffer's writing. Who writes that? In the Incarnation, the whole human race recovers the dignity of the image of God. Henceforth, any attack, even on the least of men, is an attack on Christ, who took the form of man— And in his own person, restored the image of God in all that bears a human form. Through fellowship and communion with the incarnate Lord, we recover our true humanity. And at the same time, we are delivered from that individualism, which is the consequence of sin, and retrieve our solidarity with the whole human race. By being partakers of Christ incarnate, we are partakers in the whole humanity which he bore. We now know that we have been taken up and born in the humanity of Jesus, and therefore that new nature we now enjoy means that we too must bear the sins and the sorrows of others. The incarnate Lord makes his followers the brothers of all mankind. In other words, he didn't just come because human form so we could see it. He came for all of humanity so that we would value all of humanity. Christian, non-Christian. Church, not church. Political opinion, other political opinion, right? We value humanity because they are human. Because Christ came and said, I will be human. I will, I will live and dwell in this flesh kind of confines. And he came, and he came in a way that was spoken of through three different individuals. And all of them gave him an identity. And here's where I wanted to lean back into the identity piece. All three of these voices are going to give Christ an identity. All three of these voices are going to point to the Godhead. But only one will truly ultimately matter in my opinion. So let me just kind of walk through, and and we're going to kind of skim over some of these for the sake of time, I apologize, but in your um, guides, there's going to be a listing of the birth, and then John the Baptist, and then the end, and let me just kind of um, rabbit trail just for one second, let me just do one quick caveat here. I am to blame. Let me just put it that way, okay? I apologize, okay? Uh, I went and I told Ashley 1 to 21 and not realizing that as I was looking, looking at the text, most of my passage this morning is in Luke 22. So uh, so just, just be in your Bibles here and not just the guide. That is on me. That's not on her. I'm not going to throw her under the bus this time. Um, there are other times I can, just not this time. Uh, 21 and 22, uh, specifically 21, is going to be the one thing that we focus on in Luke chapter 2. Uh, so just kind of be aware. That's kind of where we're we're heading. I'm sorry, not two, uh, three. I'm sorry, in 3:22, not 3:21. So it's going to end abruptly. Is what I'm telling you. All right. So in your Bibles, be in your Bibles. Best thing you can hear. Okay. So before we get into that though, we gotta look at the birth and the voices that announce his birth. So there's there's a couple different voices that announce his verse. First one is Uncle Zachariah. Zachariah was the uncle of Jesus Christ. He was the son, he was the father of John the Baptist. We read in uh, the beginning of chapter one of Luke that this Zachariah was prophesied and told that Jesus would come. Uh, if you know the Christmas story, he basically loses his voice, he becomes mute, to which all the women in the room are like, Amen. How does that happen? How can that happen for my husband? How can I pray that for him? Um but he loses his voice and becomes mute, and then all of a sudden he comes out, and they're like, hey, what's the deal? Did God speak? And he's like, mm. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know what that means, enunciate. Uh, and so he he has this prophecy, and he, t- he is told that there is going to be the Son of God coming in a babe in that kind of form. So Zachariah is a human that eventually, once he is freed from being able to speak, he does speak, and he speaks in, Zachari- in Luke chapter 1, 68 to 79, in this long poem that he writes in appreciation of what he has seen It begins with, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he continues on throughout there. So there's a prophecy of Zechariah, humanity speaks. Second thing humanity speaks is Aunt Elizabeth, and she speaks, and this is Zechariah's wife, who is the mother of cousin John. and, And she says, as Mary comes to visit her, that there is something miraculous happening in Mary, that she is going to have this baby boy. And then in John, John says it in chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. We're going to read that in a little bit. But the, John the Baptist clarifies as well, this is no human, this is just no mere human. This is the Son of God. This is the one whose sandals so I am unworthy to untie. This is the man, God himself. He is the one who is going to come and, and, and bring deliverance to our people. And then you see Simeon, another voice, or Mary, obviously with her voice. And she, she writes this poem in the end of chapter, or in the middle of Luke 1, 46 to 55 and she says this is called the song of praise or the magnificent and and she writes about all that god has told her and and what gabriel has told her and asked her and then you have simeon who is another human being but is at the temple and simeon who was told that you will see the birth of jesus you will not die until it happens and simeon finally jesus is born and he hears and he says now i can go and and he's taken and so simeon is another voice that was speaking of jesus christ that he is going to be god himself he's not a mere human being and then you have Anna, and I love her. There's not much about her in the, in the New Testament, but what you do know is that she was at the temple all the time praying and, and worshiping, and, and, and she hears about it, and her reaction is beautiful as well. In Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 38. It says, uh, and there was, or 36 and 38, and there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Penunial, the daughter of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So she's been living as a widow for her whole life. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to thank, give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She saw Jesus and said, that's the redemption of Jerusalem. All of humanity was speaking towards God himself. This, this baby will be God himself. And if humans weren't enough, humanity speaks, the angels speak. And so you have the angels speaking in, to the shepherds in chapter 2 of Luke, verses 36 to 38. And then you have Gabriel himself speaking to Zachariah, speaking to Joseph, speaking to Mary in chapter one. And you see the angels and in the, and the, and the, 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 the um, actual heavens are speaking and declaring who God is. So humanity's speaking, the angels are speaking of God. And if that's not enough, then Luke continues into the baptism of Jesus. And here's where we see that God also will speak about who this baby will be. So see, up until this point, in your Bibles from chapter 1 and chapter 2 even into chapter 3 before you get into the temptation of Jesus. 1, 2, and 3, Luke is trying to show you the humanity of Jesus. He's trying to show you the characters that are involved in the telling of the story, and he will give you far more of the human perspective of who Jesus is. But he will also remind you along the way it's not just humanity that speaks of the identity of Jesus Christ as God. It is the angels testifying that this is God himself. And then if that's not enough, he says, then I will show you through God himself. He will speak and he will tell you who God is. So Luke chapter 3. We, uh, we're, we've heard about John the Baptist earlier in Luke chapter 1. We hear him again in, 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 in Luke chapter 3. And uh, in Luke chapter 3, if you don't know much about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was preparing the way. Uh, think of the crazy guy on the side of the street with a bullhorn, yelling out judgment and damnation upon all who would come near him. Uh, That guy was the kind of guy you're kind of like, does he really represent us? Um, That would kind of be John. John was wearing these kind of crazy clothes. He ate bugs. It was a whole thing. And he was one who would not mince words about what was truly about to happen. You see this even when uh, the Pharisees come to approach him in verse seven, he said before the crowds that came out to baptize him, he says, you brood of vipers, right? So the Pharisees come out out, and they're like, what's going on? What's happening? We've heard about this Jesus thing and, and you've been baptizing and as they come out to meet John, John's the personality who's like, uh, not your kind of, hey, nice to meet you. Glad you're here. Here's your seat in church. We're going to be singing a couple songs. and Then after the songs, we're going to have a guy come and talk to you. It's going to be really nice. And then when you go home, we got something to send to you. It's a little gift. You're going to love it on the way out. We just love having you here. That's, that was not John. John was like, you're an idiot. You're going to burn. Now get out. I mean, that was John's whole message. Like, you are all going to burn. All of you are going to burn. Like bull, bullhorn. And you're like, ah, ah. John was all law. This is beautiful. John was all Old Testament law. There is, there, is, there is judgment coming, and judgment's coming for all you. And then Jesus comes into the scene and models both grace and truth. So let's go to 21 and 22, and here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. 21 and 22. So he's baptizing, and Jesus now comes to John. In verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from came from heaven: "You are my beloved son; with you I am well pleased." Baptism was meeting the law's requirements. Jesus did it to, to fulfill the Old Testament. Baptism communicated boundaries and the fact that he didn't have to be baptized back up a second. Baptism was basically, in John's opinion, it was for the remission of sins, but it was done on a regular basis. So the Jews would go to John, they would go to these other prophets, and they'd be cleansed of their sins, but it was an ongoing thing. It wasn't like a one-time only baptism and you're good. They'd keep coming back every time they'd sin or, or feel like they needed to confess something. They'd go and be baptized, get baptized, get baptized, get baptized. That's kind of the crowd around them. Jesus comes in and says, I don't need to get baptized. I don't have to be baptized. Uh, I have no sin in me, but to fulfill what the law has required in the Old Testament, I will give you a model of what's supposed to happen. I will come, and I will be baptized. So it communicates what the law required. He's fulfilling. It communicates boundaries, and it communicates a dependence. Because the Father told him to be baptized, I'm going to go and be baptized. A couple things you need to see in here to, again, tell you the identity that Jesus is truly the Son of God. First off, the heavens opened. This is this is crazy. I know that sometimes you're kind of like, I know the heavens opened. And we can read it now. And we're kind of like, yeah, that happened. But how many of us have actually, you know, when you think of the actual practical of that, like not many of us have walked down the street and all of a sudden like the heavens have opened, right? And there's like this clear sign and visual in front of you, like, oh my word, there it is. Like God's real, right? Many of you have asked for it, but it's not ever maybe hopefully, I don't know, maybe not, I don't know, has happened for you, that the heavens were actually opened. This is rare even in the Bible. This is rare in the New Testament. This is the heavens opening was clear language to the people that God was moving. In 400 years of silence, God is now on the move. God is fulfilling things that he was not going to fulfill earlier, and now he is here. It is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 61, 1, that he says, I will open up the heavens. When they are opened in the New Testament, there is access into the realm of God. Let me give you a couple examples in the New Testament alone of when the heavens opened and the significance of what's happening right here. John 1, 51, angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. That was heavens opened. Acts 7, 56, see Jesus is at the right hand of God. They were opened in the book of Acts for a very specific reason, and they saw that Jesus was actually sitting, there was a vision to them that Jesus was sitting at the right hand of God. Acts ten, eleven. here's a fun one. The heavens are opened to tell Peter that the Gentile mission is underway. He says, remember in, in the story, he says, the heavens were opened, and there was a great sheet dropped down, and I saw all these animals were in them that I shouldn't eat, like pigs and bacon, and I ate lots of bacon, and the whole thing was part of that real world. And he says, the heavens were opened in front of me. That was rare, but it happened to signify the Gentile mission is going forward, and And then lastly, the only other times you see the heavens open are Revelation chapter 4, 5, 15, 5, and 19 11. That the heavens were open to reveal these great judgments that were coming. So when God says he opened the heavens, that's not just kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. He opened the heavens. That's cool. They were opened that day wonder what happened after that. That is not, that was, that was not the reaction they would have had. They would have said, oh my word, something's coming and we need to be prepared. Because the only other times we see it in the New Testament open is, again, when Jesus is here, when, when the Gentile mission is established and when the church is beginning and then in the end of time with judgment coming. That's the only time the heavens are open and this is what we see here. The heavens are now open. So that's first sign that Jesus is and his identity is the son of God himself. The heavens are open, for crying out loud, and now they are, there's this clear break and they see something happening as Jesus is being baptized in the water that's point number one, the heavens are open, number two the Holy Spirit descended okay this is, this, is, this is crazy. There's a lot of theological argument in here. I wish we had groups this week because then you could knock this around a little bit and be like, well, I think. Uh, because as the human Holy Spirit descend, Luke tells us a little bit differently than John tells us a little bit differently than the other Gospels tell us a little bit differently about how this Holy Spirit actually descends. But here's what we do know. The Holy Spirit was represented in this dove. And this—some this, say dove. Now some are commenting. So, well, I think it actually just means light. I think if you look at the actual Greek, it's actually this and— For the sake of this, Luke basically is telling us it is, no, 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 this is a Holy Spirit descending and we know from the book of John that this Holy Spirit not only descended but it remained on Jesus. That's a big thing. And then in Luke, he uses a Greek word that stresses, no, it was an actual visual image of a dove. And I'm like, why a dove? And I still haven't figured out the whole reasoning behind why the dove except there's some things, possibly in Old Testament things. that The Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus Christ. Okay? The Holy Spirit, the, the, the thing that was yet to come to the church as it was ahead of them, descended upon Jesus Christ and remained on him throughout his ministry. And it came at right at the right point. We're going to talk about this next week with the temptation, but it remained on him throughout his ministry. And throughout his time here, the Holy Spirit descended and was part of this equation. We see the second part of the Godhead. And then last but not least, we I love this. And then he says this, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Godhead, three in one, all seen heard, experienced in one moment. If there was one moment to experience on this planet, that would be my moment. To see the Godhead all in one place. And and here's the thing, the Godhead was all in one place and it didn't consume everything around them. The Godhead was all in one place and everybody still lived. That's a rare thing. I think we sometimes get this bad impression of Jesus and God, and we think, Jesus is my boy. We're friends. We hang out all the time. Me and you, Jesus. Yay, right? That's great. I'm sure you're there. That's fine. That's a great starting point. But you have to realize that God himself is holy and pure and set apart from us. And the fact that anybody was left standing in the middle of this Jordan River was a grace of God himself that all three persons of the Trinity could be experienced right here and right now would have been an amazing moment. And all of it highlighted by the last part of verse 22, for you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Just like the heavens open. Do you know how many times that God actually speaks from heaven in the New Testament alone? In the New Testament, God speaks from the heavens three times. That's it. Here, the transfiguration, and in the garden. And that's it. And these three times that God communicates from heaven are all significant and very, very vital to those that they are around. But he tells the people around them, this is my, and then he uses these words. Beloved son has said, Old Testament, steadfast, love, this is my beloved son. And he speaks then directly to his son. With you, I am well pleased. I don't know if you grew up with a healthy father or not, but um, my dad, I love him. He, uh, he did not grow up with a home like that. Uh, he grew up in a home that never really heard I love you and didn't really uh, have much affection. If anything, it was more of just a slap across the face and, you know, you do your thing, right? I mean, it was, I don't know if it was an actual physical slap or not, but it was definitely that kind of environment. You didn't, you didn't hear love. You didn't get told love. You didn't any of that stuff. So I love that my dad has is, is, is always been trying to break that in my family. And uh, he'll tell me all the time, I love you. <laughs> See? And... Uh, the reason it's important is one, because uh, I'm a son, but secondly, it's important because I realize that that's something he's trying to change uh, from where he grew up, and he's trying to change it in his kids. And so, as a good father, I communicate those things, and I say, I love you. And it's one thing to say, I love you, but it's another thing to say, specifically, intentionally, to, to, the, to the son, with you, I am well pleased. To the Son, he says, to Jesus Christ, to you, I am well pleased. He hasn't even, he hasn't even started his ministry yet. He hasn't even done the temptation. He hasn't even gone to the cross. And he says, with you, I am well pleased. Because Jesus, in his humanity, I'm sure, this was huge. In his human form, needed to hear these kind of confidences. And some of us, like I said, I don't know where we were raised, but, but this morning, God's saying to you, if you have Jesus Christ in you, that is your identity, that is your worth, that is your value, that is Jesus Christ in you. So if Christ is in us, he looks at us and he sees Jesus in us and he can look at us, sin and all, and say, in you I am well pleased but God, this week I totally jacked it up and I did this thing and I, you don't even know what I did this week. I mean, well, you know what I did this week because it's you, but, but you don't, I mean, we—I did this thing and you know my heart is terrible and I'm ugly inside and I, I hate people for who they are sometimes and I'm, I'm disobedient all the time and, and God says, yeah, 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 I get that, I get that, I get that, I get that. Here's the thing. Jesus in you trumps all of that. Jesus in you says, I look to my son and I say, in you I am well Pleased. And he starts off this series, this life, with these statements, in you I am well pleased. And because of that, because of our identity in Christ, we can bank on that every single day of our life. You see, I don't know what you often wake up and think about um, that you base your identity in, that you base your confidence in. We've sung a lot about it this morning, identity in Christ. I don't know what you typically put it in, Um, It could be that, you know, you wake up every morning and your identity is in that your spouse tells you you're okay. Um, And that means a lot to you, and that could be it. To you, your confidence of how you're going to get through that day could be that there's coffee involved. Definitely coffee involved. Yes, I can make it through the day because we have that in the house. That's fantastic. It could be that you wake up every day and I can make it through the day because my job is secure and, we, and we, let, we put a lot of our identity into our jobs, and as long as I'm putting, getting a paycheck, then I can make it through my day. Many of us, we can put our security in the bills are paid. Hey, at least I'm not in debt. I'm doing the right things, and I can be secure in that. We can be secure that our house is clean for the first time in months, right? And we're like, man, I can rest in the identity and who I am because I have worth and value because my house is not jacked up this week, right? We can put value in those things. We can, we can say, I'm going to make it today because Netflix is on, and I can make it to that to the end of the day, and there's a really show <laughs> I need to watch, and that's my identity and worth. There's just a Make it to that end. Um, it could be that college football season is here and that's your worth and identity, and that's okay. Um, not biblical, but definitely on the top end. Okay, uh, but not biblical, right? I can't wake up every day and say my identity rests in whether there's a game or not. Although there are certain days you wake up and you're like, please let there be a game on, please let there be a game on. But there's sometimes not, and you have to deal with that. But the, the other one could be this, that your identity is wrapped up in your kids, and that your kids still like you, right? Oh, if I, if I don't have the worth and value of my kids, if my kids don't like me every single day, then I have no identity. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life if my kids don't like me and tell me I'm awesome every single day. Um, Some of it could be your status online. I don't know. But instead of all that, we need the reminder that those things are fine, but they pale in comparison to hearing that God looks at you, Christ in you, and says, you are good. In you I am well pleased because Christ lives in you. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Romans 8, 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We walk in Jesus, Romans 8, 9, and 10. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, this is huge. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead and because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And because Christ is in us, we can live in meekness and obedience to him. We can model that, that he didn't come demanding his own way at the baptism. He didn't come saying, do you know who I am? You better know who I am. He came and said, I am willing to be baptized. John recognizes, I can't baptize you. You're the son of God. He's like, I got this. It's okay. This needs to happen the way it's going to happen. And so don't mistake Christ's meekness for powerlessness. Don't miss his divinity inside of his humanity. Meekness is the value and the virtue you see in the baby born, stall, no name, no reputation. I mean, Jesus, think of this. He's given the name Jesus. I mean, we're kind of like, yeah, it's Jesus. His last name's Christ. I get that. No, it's not true. It's Jesus, the Messiah, okay? And Jesus was actually just a very common name back then. It would be kind of like Joe, you know? It's like, it was just kind of like, that's it? That's the son of God's name? You named him John Smith? That's weird. Like, how would you, why would you do that? You named him Jesus because it was common. It wasn't this big thing. And yet, here he is coming in in humanity with all his divinity, and yet obedient to the Father every single step of the way. This morning, I don't know what meekness and obedience look for you, but here's the two questions I have for you, and then I'm going to read passages. as we close. Two things. One: don't mistake his humanity oh, it's not a mistake. Don't separate his humanity from his divinity. You need both. And then secondly, model the kind of Christ-like life that was perfectly obedient. And by obedient, I don't mean robotic. It's not just kind of like, I do whatever he says. It was, it was tremendous freedom in his obedience. There was tremendous ability to be who he was. But ultimately, at the end of the day, his reaction to every single miracle, every single crowd was, unless the Father tells me to do something, I'm not going to do it. And we can benefit from that ourselves. So for you, what does that look like? What does meekness, power under control look like for you in a given week? How do you need to power down in conversations and in relationships this week? How do you need to power down with your family? How do you need to power down for the sake of Jesus and say, only Christ is having to dictate my life? It could be obedience and control under power. What does that control look like for you? How are you going to become obedient this week to Jesus and not to your own desires and flesh and wants and cravings? Because Jesus models it perfectly for us who came down as a baby and was baptized in meekness and in obedience. This morning as we close out, um, we're not going to do a song because it's, it's, it's late. So let me just close with this. I want to read out of Philippians. And uh, I want you to kind of just put everything away. And just, this isn't going to be kind of a, a major prayer thing or reflection thing. It's just simply uh, something we don't often get to do. And that's just read Scripture out loud. And just let the words kind of hit you. Um, and just kind of focus in on every single word that is written here by Paul to the church of Philippi when he recounts the humanity and the meekness and the divinity of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, this morning, May we be reminded, yes, you came in meekness, but you are God. As we work through this series and find out more about who you are and your humanity and how you walk this earth, I pray that we would never miss the divinity. I pray that we would never miss that at your name, every knee bows in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that demons shudder at your name, humanity should shudder at your name, that the heavens rejoice and shudder at the same time at your name because of your power. And that every tongue eventually will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even in his prayer, even in the statement, God, Paul is reminding us that all of your works were to point us to the Father. All of your works so that the Father would be glorified. I prayed this morning for us as Community Bible Church. That everything we do, every word we speak, every conversation we have this week. Would be challenged and would be put under the obedience of Jesus Christ. That we would think before we speak and we would say, does God really want me to say that? Does God really want me to go there? Does God really want me to have an opinion on that? Or am I just gonna become obedient to Jesus because he was meek and obedient to the Father? Thank you for the example this morning. Thank you for loving us this morning. Thank you for offering a free gift of the gospel to us that by your death, burial, and resurrection, you offer a way to beat sin and you've opened it to us all. I thank you so much for the series. I pray that you would teach us as we go through it. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.